Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. And on today's show, we're going to share with you an interview that I did with someone who has been a fierce advocate for equitable policy in the Peach State going back more than two decades now. Joining the podcast is Taifa Smith-Butler, the outgoing president and CEO of the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. Taifa will be moving on from GBPI later this summer to become the president of Demos, a progressive think tank focused on policy from a national perspective. Taifa, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on this exciting new opportunity. Thank you for having me, Kyle. I'm glad to be here. So we wanted to talk with Taifa today about the 10 years that she spent as a leader at GBPI and how this state and policymaking opportunities here have changed, and also what kinds of opportunities for equitable policy lie ahead, both for the work that you'll do nationally at Demos Taifa and the work that folks will continue to do here in Georgia. Um, but to start here, we count among our audience a lot of young people who maybe early in their careers or maybe are considering a career in advocacy and public service. Can you take us back to what brought you into becoming a policy advocate here in our state? Absolutely. And, and if you'll indulge me, I have to share this story because I think, you know, hearing people share what the defining moments in their lives are, 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 are is important. Um, and I would say when I was 16, I had an opportunity to serve as city manager of Philadelphia for a day. Philadelphia is where I'm originally from. And serving with James White, who was the city manager who uh, brand the city a thousand 11,000 employees he said to me you know the life of a public servant is not about having your name in lights it's about solving public problems and that is the thing that I held with me throughout my entire career is approaching this work of having a better society better opportunities to solve today's problems and that is sort of where I launched my goal to sort of maybe one day run for office, but I realized politics is not for the faint at heart. <laughs> and so the route of public policy is sort of where I landed, really wanting to solve problems, to understand and analyze the issues, using data, using the information to help like make the recommendations that are most important to, to make people's lives better. Um, and so I pursued a degree in public policy in grad school and uh, landed in Georgia in 1999 um, after I moved down here from Philly and have been working sort of in this research uh, arena ever since. So looking back over your decade at GBPI, can you tell us about some of the most memorable memorable victories for your organization and, and what's gone into those victories and how GBPI learned to be an effective advocate in what is otherwise a somewhat challenging political environment in Georgia? Absolutely. That's a great question. I would say sort of when I got to GBPI in 2011, you know, the organization was started in 2004 as sort of the voice around budget and taxes and how we can most effectively use the most important piece of legislation uh, that is passed in our state, which is the budget, um, and how to use those revenues in the most effective way to improve outcomes for families, to make sure that people are living, um, you know, good quality of life and that they can prosper. And Oftentimes, our approach to policy solutions differed from those in leadership where, you know, there was a constant uh, sort of framing that there wasn't enough, this sort of scarcity mindset that we could not invest in people, we could not make better investments in healthcare 
and education and higher education because there wasn't enough dollars. But yet we gave away dollars to corporate, you know, interest or we, you know, allowed uh, different types of economic development programs to rule the day. And, and that's the thing that we sort of push back against. Where are our priorities long term in our state? I um, mean, so I would say, you know, for every tax cut proposal that came up in the past, I think GBPI responded to those very well. Uh, we were for years making the case that we needed to better invest in our K-12 public schools uh, because that is where everybody talks about, you know, leveling the playing field for our young people to be able to have a successful future and to reach their full potential. If we're not ensuring every child has adequate access to public education, then we're not doing our job as a state. And so I think continuing to echo that message, build more champions around that message has been part of our success. Um, I also think um, just making the case that um, we have to think intersectionally around well-being for people and their families, but also recognize that if we're going to, to look at these data across our state, look at healthcare outcomes and education outcomes and income uh, inequality, we have to start looking at the systemic issues that are prevalent in Georgia that are prevalent in the South and we have to name race and we have to name systemic racism as a part of that. And that was, I think, a huge, bold um, approach to this, given that people saw GBPI in the past as an organization that, you know, shared the data, that gave the facts um, and got quoted in the paper uh, with those data, with those facts. But we also needed to, to tell a story. And it, we thought it, it would be irresponsible to continue to share the disaggregation of data, you know, to show all the disparities in our state around income uh, inequality or economic mobility where black and brown folks aren't able to, you know, make it to the Top of the income ladder because of different types of challenges uh, that we couldn't continue to just show those data without showing the historical uh, policy choices uh, that were made to like create that. And so I think today, as GBPIs, as you know, strives to be an anti-racist organization, a research and advocacy organization, that that is some of the things that I'll look back on in the ten years and say we um, we made some bold decisions, and and I'm pretty proud of that. Continuing on that thread, I, I've observed GBPI to be kind of a leader in this space of focusing on anti-racist and equitable policies. And as you mentioned, that is maybe kind of a shift in direction from um, the practices in the past where maybe some advocates were focusing on policy in maybe a more race-blind fashion. Why is having that stated anti-racist, equitable focus important in securing policy wins? And what has GBPI learned as an organization in organizing your analysis and advocacy around these values? Thank you. Well, I think it all means all. And I think when we look at the data, which again, we are very much an organization that is focused on data-driven decision-making and making sure that we use data to help lawmakers, those in elected positions, make informed decisions um, that are based in real data and understanding of what's happening. And when we started to see, you know, we can't say economic opportunity for all and not like 
recognize that the data and the trends are showing us that there are significant challenges that face rural communities or families that are living below the poverty line or families that are black and brown in our state and what the challenges and barriers that they have in particular. So we, we said we needed to be intentional about what policy solutions that we are offering that could really help mitigate um, or dismantle and change some of those outcomes that we see for rural, for poor, or low-income families, for those working um, you know, very meager wages or earning very meager wages because of you know, our, our labor structure here in the state. So I think for us to fulfill our mission as an organization, which is to be a fair and inclusive state where all people prosper, we have had to give attention to those most uh, at risk of not prospering and those who face the most challenges. Um, and those are typically in, the in Georgia, in the South, families who are low income, families who are black and brown, families who are LGBTQ, those who are disabled. So there's a, a, a host of marginalized communities and families that we have to think about what are the right kinds of policy interventions that we can lift up at. Um, in our organization. And we have not arrived by any stretch. This work is continuous. <laughs> um, and I think as we continue to put ourselves so as part of this ecosystem of, you know, organizations that are focused on, you know, how to help um, the disability community, how to help those in rural communities, we have to like take a step back and really listen to what the real lived experiences are for families across our state and then allow that to inform our research and our policy policy agenda. And that's, I think, um, necessary for all research organizations or think tanks, if you will, that oftentimes, you know, don't necessarily put themselves within communities to really uh, help inform their work. That's actually another piece of this work that I've become a little more attuned to is, you know, the engagement between the folks who crunch the numbers, who write the reports, who get those reports on the desks of lawmakers, coordination between folks doing that work and the folks who are organizing communities, elevating the voices of people in communities. How is that kind of engagement and capacity building with these community-based organizations, how's that impacted the way y'all advocate on policy at GBPI? Yes, I, I mean, the last couple of years, even within our strategic planning, we wanted to be an organization that had our finger on the pulse of what was going on in our state. So we stopped and we literally listened. We went around the state and did listening sessions uh, in Albany and Macon and Gwinnett, listening to a hundred different immigrant families talk about, you know, some of the challenges they face. We went, we, we went up to Rome Floyd um, and Savannah. And so we talked to different different folks, civic leaders, uh, elected leaders, families, nonprofit leaders who are serving communities, and just got a real sense of the systemic challenges in their states. We talked about, you know, what their dreams and aspirations are for them, their families, for their communities, but also what the challenges were. And I think being able to hear from them, but then also try to create better relationships so that we can fuel their local local based advocacy was a real important part for how we, I think, as an organization evolved so that we could have better capacity within our own organization, not just to do the research and the analysis and not just to be able to take that research and that content and put it out into the world through our communications, but also have 
people on staff who could be in community, who could sit at tables with advocates to hear from them what their issues are, what their constituents are saying, and then be able to take our content and share it in a way that could galvanize their activism, right? That could help them show up at the Capitol with the facts and with the data so that we could all be pushing for real political change and political will um, that we would want to change policy. So shifting focus a little bit here to your new role as the incoming president of Demos, can you tell us just a little bit about what the kind of work that Demos does? Oh, absolutely. You know, I've served on the board of Demos for about four years and have always, always been a huge fan, even before I became a board member, because as a state leader, a state policy leader, looking at the national landscape, I think Demos stood apart uh, from a lot of the national think tanks because they worked at the intersection of inclusive democracy work and inclusive economy and how to make sure folks could have an equal say, but an equal chance, um, both in our democracy and in our economy. And they had a strong sort of racial justice lens uh, because of those who are most marginalized from inclusion, right, of of our economy and, and our democracy. And so seeing this opportunity and just being blessed now uh, to be the next president. Um, I'm really excited because the work that they've done now for 20 some odd years seems to be the work of the moment um, and the work for the movement. And what I appreciate about Demos is sort of its sort of um, position within the movement of organizations that are fighting for democracy reform and economic justice and really centering the voice of these partners that are in states on the ground, typically led by people of color um, that can really help inform what a national inclusion agenda looks like for for the democracy and for our economy. So I'm excited to sort of take all that I've learned in Georgia for these last 20 years working here. And, and because Georgia is so much in the national uh, conversation and people are watching what we're doing in terms of what the movement has, how the movement has grown in this state over the last 10, 15 years. Um, And the results of that, the investment that was needed, the investment that's really helped galvanize the activism, but also the electorate showing up and the electorate growing in a way that could really, uh, you know, elevate the voices of, of the most marginalized. So I'm excited to be able to share that story and and the intersection that GBPI has had at the state level doing policy work in this movement and in this infrastructure I'm at the national level. And I think that's what I'm excited about seeing um, and growing with Demos is how do we continue to fight for uh, an inclusive democracy where we push back against voter suppression and, and, and talk about what real inclusion looks like at the national level. You touched on this some, but one of the threads of Demos's work is this advocacy on democracy reforms. And as you know, Georgia seems to be at the center of almost all of the cross currents of our nation, but particularly on these issues related to the health of our, our democratic institutions, elections, the way legislatures work, things like that. Do you think that the health of our democratic institutions is increasingly weighing on policy outcomes when it comes to things like budgets and public programs and, and what can be done to bolster our institutions? Oh, ways to bolster our institutions are to get rid of the institutions that are creating the barriers in the first place. And I think that's one of the things that I I know that the Demos team is working to really uh, break down those institutional barriers that are 
you know, not allowing this multiracial democracy to live um, as the nation grows, as the nat nation um, diversifies. Like we want to make sure that all those voices are available um, to are, are able to be heard. Um, and the way that they can be heard is obviously access to the ballot. But there are a number of different ways that we can ensure that we are sharing power at the tables, whether they're at the local tables, at the state level tables or even the national tables. How are we making sure sure that people's voices are heard. Um, and I know uh, Demos is advocating for HR1, the For the People Act, which could really help set some tables broadly from the federal level that would um, address some of the state-based uh, suppression activities that we see happening around the nation and in, even in our state of Georgia. I'm also expanding the HR4, which would again, bring up and improve, improve the protections of um, the Voting Rights Act. So there's a couple of things there, I think, institutionally that Demos is advocating for, along with many others doing democracy reform work. Um, and, and bringing our focus back to Georgia here, I know that you'll be missed in the Georgia advocacy and, and policymaking community. For people who will continue to do this work, both at GBPI and at other organizations in our state, what's sort of your parting message to them about the opportunities that still lay before us here in Georgia? Oh, I, I mean, this is one of the hardest decisions um, that I've had to make is to leave this work uh, right now, especially because there is so such momentum um, and such a uh, great opportunity. But Kyle, I cannot um, also state that there are tremendous threats <laughs> that are on the horizon, too, that we want to maintain. So I would say for those who are continuing in policy, research, advocacy work, that we've got to continue to press forward. Um, I think, you know, any election cycle, as we are about to see now with the gubernatorial cycle kicking off, is that we have to claim uh, what's the vision that we have for this state. And I think far too often Georgia leaders have done this zero sum analysis where they choose businesses over families. And we know that people are so critically important to our long-term economy, to the quality of our, our workforce, to our education system, and just to community well-being overall. And I think we have to continue to demand uh, the right kinds of policy solutions that will center people, that will make sure that people can thrive and prosper in our state. And those uh, revenues that we get, how do we make sure we maximize them and invest and appropriate the dollars that we get in the right ways to ensure that we are you know, creating better opportunities for all people in our state. And when I look at these uh, state maps and look at the challenges facing the South and facing Georgia, we need leaders to be intentional about the policy solutions that they are offering. And I would say any policy that is continuing to create disparities and continuing to create inequities, those are racist policies. And so when we think about anti-racism, what are the policies that are going to eliminate disparities and inequities that we see? Those are anti-racist. So I think that's where we need to continue to challenge our leaders that they, that there may be thinking these policies are race blind or, or they don't affect uh, different communities and, and ways that are detrimental. But when they do, that's when we say we are not you know, operating and offering up the right kinds of solutions.
All right. Well, Taifa Smith-Butler, she's the outgoing president and CEO of the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute, and she is the incoming president of Demos later this summer. Taifa, we really appreciate you joining the podcast and best wishes on this new adventure. Thank you so much, Kyle, for having me. I look forward to staying in touch. Thanks for tuning into Peach Pod. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, take care, y'all.